Good evening, friends and well-wishers, and welcome to Ghost Stories for the End of the World. I have to confess that this episode has actually been up on the Patreon since Saturday, but for whatever reason, I just could not upload the trailer to Podbean of the weekend. If you are hearing this, it means that whatever the technical issue was with Podbean, it's now resolved. So, hi, hello. This is part five of our Olaf Palme series, and tonight we're going deep on the Scandia man. We're going to get into who he was, where he comes from, and the web of connections that surrounds him. None of this, of course, would be possible without Marcus from the Return of the Repressed podcast and our boy Sebastian. So, as ever, big thanks to them, and I hope you enjoy. This is the first 20 minutes or so of part five. Scandiaman. How do you feel? When I was a kid, whenever I had a nightmare, my mother would sit at the foot of the bed and say a little rhyme. crooked man and he walked a crooked mile and he found a crooked sixpence besides a crooked stile and he bought a crooked cat which caught a crooked mouse and they all lived together in a little crooked house I had a dream about this place thinking that for this episode it makes sense to really get into the world and the mind of Stieg Engström and kind of look at where he comes from and what led him to be on that street in Stockholm the night of Olaf Palme's assassination. Right, that's what we should do most definitely because well not only because it has now been sort of concluded that this might be the man who did it uh, because I think by now most of you will agree with us that there seems to be so much into this story that actually who really shot Palme is not that interesting anymore like it's somehow it's already becoming a bigger picture and so we need to you know uh, for those who saw like the Netflix series for example it's there are interesting topics mentioned at you know mm, the bad of an eye sometimes and then just dropped as if they felt obliged to at least uh, say it once but then not speak upon it 
again, you know, so that they did their duty uh, to the, uh, I don't know, the universal record keeping of how this is going to go down in history or something. Um, but if we were to, like Matt already mentioned, it's it's uh, it's a man who is there at the scene of the crime as one of the first people. And so how we talked about two other possible patsies in the last episode, like Christa Pettersson and uh, the 33-year-old Victor Gea, um, how is it that they became leads, you know, and heavily focused upon for years? I mean, Christa Pettersson has been like, you know, part of my and Sebastian's like entire upbringing, right? Like everybody knows who that guy is and what that face looks like. Um, but why is it that they became such big leads and almost nobody knows about the Scandia man when they weren't, you know, at the crime scene at all that we know of? Well, this guy, he was there. He really was there. And he has a story that does not fit with any of the other people at the scene of the crime. Like his, his mm, notions or his, uh, narrative of what took place uh this you know it crashes with the others and so if we want to understand then why he is left out we have to in a way return to holmier's uh relationship to this person and hans holmier you know for obvious reason i guess at least initially uh there is no way that the Scandia man would have worked for the PKK, I guess. It's, it's maybe why we would assume that he does not uh, favor, uh, he's not a favorite of uh, Hans Holmier. And so he goes from being a witness to being potentially a, a suspect for a, for a little while, but not by Holmier. And then eventually he is concluded and sort of put to the archives for decades as merely being on site. And Holmier thinks of the man as, uh, and this is, you know, famously cited in, in many of the uh, books and, and uh, articles and uh, that speaks about the Palme story, uh, that Holmier thinks of him as a elephant in the uh, China store or in the, in the porcelain store. And so, you know, he's an inconvenience, basically. And he even, I think, does a sort of uh, quasi-psychological diagnosis of him as a uh, mythomaniac, which means, which is what, you know, things that other people catch on to as well. Even people who might be, you know, inclined to think that Hans Hormier might be involved in a, in a bigger cover-up or in a conspiracy within the police and, you know, the other interesting leads that we've been talking about, people still, up until very recently, felt that Hans Holmier's assessment of the Scania man was correct. But there were a few people who did not think that. And there were a few people within the police who did not think that the PKK lead was uh, the route to take to get to the killer. And one of them was Per Hegström. And Per Hegström would later come to work for P.G. Winge, which was one of the former... Uh, heads of the uh, secret or security police that we mentioned before, who, you know, the, gave us the quote about how Hans Holmier became the head of the secret police, right? Like he said that uh, he was put there to serve the social Democrats, right? That was uh, P.G. Vinges, the former security police uh, opinion about him. And uh, 
later this uh, Per Hegström, who I will tell you about now, he uh, later went to work for this uh, retired head of the secret police's uh, own private security firm. Um, but at the time or in the months surrounding the murder, he was uh, working at Scandia, the same building, the same company as the Scandia man, obviously. Uh, clues in the title, right? And uh, he uh, he felt, you know, that there was something odd about this guy. So he was there as an, you know, investigating inspector, uh, whilst the, the Scandia man, he's an you know, an insurer, he works with graphic design, right? And, and a bit of insurance uh, generally as well. And um, because of his interest in to, you know, Stieg Engström with the Scandia man, he would later be demoted and forced to resign from Scandia um, because he basically, you know, brought too much attention to himself uh, trying to do some gumshoe work on his own. And... Uh, I'll tell you now a little bit about how that happened. How did it come to this, that he was demoted and forced to resign? So Hegström was contacted initially by a former colleague of the police. Uh, and this is our good friend, Arne Irvell, as we nem- you know, remember him from the last episode being outmaneuvered, right, by Hans Holmer. And uh, he was at uh, the time, once again, the head of the investigation of the National Murder Commission. And so he was probably the person who should have done the investigation of the Palmer murder, right? If, if it wasn't for the coup of, uh, uh, or the coup d'etat of, of uh, Hans Holmer. So, Arne uh, uh, Irvel um, would also later become convinced uh, that the secret police were behind the murder, you know? So he doesn't picture Holmer very favorably in this uh, uh, story. And so he first contacted uh, Per Hegström, who was himself an ex-cop who has worked as an investigative inspector then at uh, Scandia for quite some time. And Irvel asked him to look into this uh, quote-unquote Scandia man, while he and himself and another team did the same from within the violent crime unit of the police, despite Holmier's declared disinterest in Engström as a suspect. Um, so basically... They do. They, I mean, they are policemen, obviously, but they are forced to sort of work uh, in the shadows. Would maybe be a bit too yeah, exaggerated, I mean, it, but it, it gets at that noir vibe yeah. to a lot of this story, right? I think. But isn't it um, isn't it so typical of um, Holmer to, to like call uh, Stieg? Um, by the name of like an <laughs> elephant or a yeah, yeah. hermaphrodite. Yeah, he's all, he got nicknames for everybody, right? Like the the taxi driver, I think he called him, well, we can't use that, but the N-word. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the <laughs> N-word. Just were like, who, yeah. And that was a taxi driver who was supposed to call out uh, or point out who Victor Gea, the 33-year-old, was. And uh, I mean, you keep seeing Holmier referring to people in the in like just absurd ways. What was the other one? The The... Oh yeah, another guy who we'll get to later. I think it is uh, the Bufosh witness, who is the national drunk or something. But he wasn't even seemed to have been. Like- yeah, yeah, because he came uh, he he came home from a party, so he was like the the national drunk. And uh, 
and just uh, like uh, being the chief of the police and uh, like even if Stig was the killer or if he was uh, um, an important witness you know that you call him like an an elephant and a hermaphrodite uh, and um, like making references that he he was probably gay uh, out on the town like what was he was he uh, doing like out in the night uh, and stuff like this so it's uh, uh, this is very typical of Holmer, like his uh, entire vibe of how he, yeah. And there's like, there's so little to base this understanding or this, you know, this notion that he would be a hermaphrodite, whatever that means. Uh, like, it's, it's like, it's like, it's unfounded. It's only based on a, on a really early newspaper, right? Uh, way before this, when there had been some poll uh, in in a, uh, I think it was one of the big national papers, and they were asked to answer some questions, sort of, uh, you know, and then they were, you know, binary defined as, you know, whether they were male or uh, female interests, and then it would seem that Engstrom ended up having more female interests than male, but and I guess you know one of them being an artist, then so that because he's good at painting, he, he and and I don't know, like even in one, I listened to one of the or I read one of the. Uh, investigation uh, no interrogations with him and the police there is also like sort of you know making fun of him for, for being good at painting i don't know like i i, I mean it, to, to us today i think like it's so like generationally removed from being i mean it's pathetic to to be a person who's like oh you like cleaning you must be hermaphrodite like but i think they really thought like that back then you know yeah they were nazis of course they thought like this <laughs> Hergström helps out the police in an informal capacity, but the police themselves who believe that um, Engström is the killer, they're also working in an informal capacity as well. So nobody's really sanctioned here to look into this guy. That's right. And so when, so for this very reason, once this information that Hegström is sort of running around Scandia uh, trying to find out things about Heng, uh, uh, Engström, then the... Um, the security guards whom he uh, questions about the night in question, uh, they inform in turn the security chief at Scandia, Hans Olof Olofsson, which uh, resulted then in, among other things, him not being given access to Engström's room until the, the beginning of the summer. And, I mean, that's already a pretty strange room because apparently Engström is the only person in the whole of Scandia who has his own lock system i think the other doors can be locked but they can all be unlocked with a universal key uh, or the skeleton key except this room which engstrom works in and uh, i mean that's already i think gave uh, hegstrom you know good reason to to uh, raise an eyebrow as to that you know maybe i'm onto something here and then you know them putting it off for him to even being allowed to enter the room to the summer in retroactive you know fashion for us might also suggest that he was onto something and you just to pay, paint a picture about this like the scandia house it's um the building it was um, over a thousand people working there and it's uh, i think it's eight floors or something so it's uh, like it's a big building that's uh, basically takes up an entire block uh, so um, uh, when Marcus is referring to that, uh, he was uh, the only one with uh, like a, a, a locked office. Uh, it's uh, pretty strange. You know? Yeah, 
it's it's out of the ordinary and we will get to like even the more of the strangeness of the i think of the very like logistics would you say like of this house you know because there's a lot of strange tunnels going around underneath it and you know for the for the listeners out there who who likes tunnels well there's some pretty probably some of the coolest tunnels in the world like under this building this episode is dedicated to the tunnel fans of the uh yeah. stories fandom yeah. yeah yeah uh so when uh, so irvel then on irvel who is uh well hegstrom's man on the inside of the police he's uh retiring a few months later after the murder uh but hegstrom then have been convinced by now that he should keep on looking into the Scandiaman lead and constructed a sort of uh, memorandum, well, an actual memorandum, and this would be the second memorandum uh, to Irvel's replacement, Erik Skoglund, um, and the old colleagues of Irvel as well at the, the murder unit. But uh, with then again the dismissal of Engström as a subject, uh, as, a, uh, as a suspect, well, nobody listens to him. And so he was told that Scandiaman was a like we suggested earlier, a mythomaniac and that he should just drop the whole thing. Uh, some months later, a reporter from the Marxist-Leninist newspaper, which we have talked about before, the proletarian, he uh, goes to talk to Hegström about, you know, what is it that he might be finding out about the Scandia man? Because the thing is that uh, Otto Menel has already been interested in the Scandia man for a different reason. Since the Scandia man was clashing with uh, uh, Hans Holmer and and the, his story, like why he was at the scene of the crime, etc. He has, uh, he becomes a sort of gatekeeper to the police lead that, you know, that there is something that people are pushing the Scandiaman away from the investigation because he knows something that the police are afraid of. At least that is his initial thought. Then, little by little, Uli Menel starts realizing that the Scandiaman might be interesting for other reasons and that he, you know, that he's not, uh, you know, he doesn't have juice on the police. That's not why he's interesting. And so when he goes to Hegström, Hegström tells him basically that, quote, twice after these interviews in June 1986, I have actively tried to get the Palmy investigation to take an interest in the Scandia man, but I have not received any response. They don't care about it. It is not interesting. I'll tell you one thing. I've been in the police force, and if I had been in charge of the murder investigation and the hunt for Olof Palme's killer, this would have been solved by now. End of quote. Right. And so the, uh, the new policeman um, who takes over after uh, Arne Irvel, who is, um, well, then Hegström's contact. He was also wary, uh, Minel noted, and, uh, quote, as I said, I was disconnected from the Palme investigation. This is um, Eric Skoglund, is it? That's right. The, 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 the new policeman who is, you know, he's still there, but uh, like Hans Holmier is still there. So, you know, once again, this is a sort of a, a policeman in the, in the back room, let's say. And so... I was disconnected from the Palme investigation, as he says, yeah, after the holidays, 1986, and I don't care why, end of, end of quote. So today we know that Skoglund did not stick to the truth. He continued to work with the Engström lead for, you know, quite a while and probably knew on what ground or, you know, what vague grounds he had been dismissed, uh, which is basically following this lead then. Uh, 
So why do we think he said, I don't care um, about why he was... Uh... Right, so I think the reason why he, um, you know, he, he's lying here, he's saying, I don't care why. But the thing is that he knows probably why he was dismissed and why he was disconnected from the Palm investigation. He was being disconnected because he was, you know, pursuing the Engstrom lead, the Scandiaman lead. And uh, that is probably why they moved him away from, from the investigation. But... Uh, so, you know, then he's got another conclusion. He says, uh, you know, the Skoglund gives uh, uh, the writer Ole Minel a well-intentioned tip uh, on where he should look for the motive. So he says, uh, quote, how do you manage to keep doing this, lad? Personally, I think there are weapons at the bottom of the Palmer murder, end of quote. And so by this, he was referring to the illegal Swedish arms exports, which were revealed earlier in the 1980s. To unlock the rest of this episode, please head over to patreon.com forward slash ghost stories for the end. Here comes a roly poly man and he's singing songs of love.